This is our third session in the series Battling Unbelief. And the specific focus of this series is on battling unbelief for the sake of becoming loving people, becoming holy people, and becoming sin-killing people. And I'm talking about killing our own sin, not the, not the sin of others. We're talking about identifying sins in ourselves and knowing how to put them to death, becoming holy like God is holy and loving like God and Christ are loving. And specifically, our aims, we said, were growing in love through greater joy, pursuing holiness by a better possession, killing sin with a superior pleasure. And what we're going to see in this session before we're done is that this joy and this treasure and this pleasure are the very heart of belief or faith. So when we talk about battling unbelief in order to produce these things, we're talking about how do we cultivate a belief or a faith that produces this joy, this treasure, this pleasure, or is in its essence this joy, this better treasure, this pleasure, for the sake of love and holiness and killing sin, which raised the question, why are you elevating love and holiness and sin-killing so high. And we argued that uh, in 1 John um, 3.14, it said, by this we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. So if we don't love, we don't have any evidence that we're born again, that we're passed out of death into life. And we saw in Hebrews... 12, 14, that we should pursue holiness without which we will not see the Lord. So that if we don't pursue holiness and grow in holiness, we don't have evidence that we will see the Lord someday. And we saw in Romans 8, 13, same thing, that those who kill sin will live and those who live according to the flesh will die. So those three texts say that without love, growing in the Christian life, without holiness, without sin-killing, we don't have evidence that our faith is genuine. And so we ask the question, well, <laughs> how does that relate to salvation by grace through faith? I thought we were saved through faith apart from works of the law. And the answer is absolutely, we are. And here's the way we put it together. Galatians 5, 6, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. These kinds of uh, law keeping, they don't count for anything. Here's what counts. Only faith. But there's a certain kind of faith that counts for our justification. Our standing right with God. Our being loved and accepted by God so that he is 100% full. For us. And the kind of faith that has that effect, that unites us to Christ so that God becomes 100% for us in Christ on the basis of his righteousness, not our law keeping, that kind of faith is the kind of faith that works through love. Works. It works. Faith without works is dead, James says. Or 
Hebrews 11, 8, by faith Abraham obeyed, by faith he obeyed, by faith he obeyed. So the faith is what produces the obedience. This obedience, apart from this, counts for nothing. In fact, it's non-existence. You wouldn't call it obedience if it's not flowing from faith. But if he has genuine faith, like we're talking about, then obedience follows. And we ended last time posing this question. If saving faith is the kind of faith that produces love and holiness and sin-killing, how does it do that? And how, then, can we pursue its greater effectiveness in our lives? Because if we could see how this works, perhaps we might be put on a pathway of pursuit toward greater faith or belief and put into a frame of battling unbelief such that this faith would kick in with tremendous power to produce love and holiness and sin killing. So, Father, as we tackle this question now, how does this work? This faith by which we are justified apart from works, how does that faith produce, inevitably produce, obedience and works and love and holiness and sin killing, which then validate and confirm our standing in you? Show us this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to answer uh, the question, how, in two steps. The first step is to say it works like that because faith is future-oriented. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's future. So faith is in its essence, is confident about something hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What we hope for in Christ becomes so real to us that faith tastes it now. I think that's what this word here, hypostasis, means, the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. We see by the eyes of faith what we hope for, and it is so precious that we can taste it now, and that present taste of a future reality becomes real in the moment and has tremendous power, therefore, to slay alternative satisfactions and tastes. So it's future-oriented, another... Uh, key text to show the relationship between faith as, as past-oriented and future-oriented, because I certainly don't want to deny that faith looks to the past as well as the future. Here's the key. I love this verse, probably my favorite verse in the Bible. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now that's past, right? That's happened already. God gave up his son for us all, for us all. He died for us. He bought all the promises of God for us. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. Christ poured out his blood and, and the father did not spare his son, but in great love gave his son over to torment that we deserved so that we might 
have peace with him and all the promises of God count for us. Here's the logic then. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he then not with him graciously give us all things? That's future. So in the next five minutes, you are going to receive everything you need in order to glorify God and do his will. In the next five million years, you are going to receive everything you need to stay true to God and bless him and be satisfied by him and do his will and glorify him. So whether it's five seconds from now or whether it's uh, five million years from now, because he did not spare his own son, that's the foundation. And so we look back to remind ourselves. Faith looks back to remind ourselves, oh, what a foundation we have for looking to the future with hope in this promise, all things will be provided for us that we need in order to do His will with joy. So faith is future-oriented, rooted in the past. That's the first key. Now, my second argument is that faith This is the second reason why faith has such transforming power, why it produces obedience, why it kills sin and produces holiness and love. Faith is a being satisfied in Christ. Or we could say all that God is for us in Christ. Or we could say all that God promises to be for us in Christ is now and promises to be forever. So here's the key. And let me try to show it quickly in a few texts. John 1, 11 to 13. He came to his own. Jesus came to his own. His own people did not, did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So read it backwards. First, we are born of God. It didn't come from the will of the flesh. It didn't come from the will of man. This new birth is a sovereign work of God. That new birth produces faith. That faith is interpreted here as receiving him. And my question is, receive him as what? And my answer is, all that he is, as he is. And he is infinitely precious, infinitely valuable, infinitely beautiful, infinitely satisfying, infinitely true, infinitely everything we need. And if you try to carve him up, if you try to say that this receiving here is some kind of merely mental affirmation of doctrinal truth, then you're acting like a demon. The demons know doctrinal truth. Remember, the demon said, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Wow, that's pretty orthodox. You are the very Messiah, the Holy One of God. They got, they got it more right than the Pharisees who knew their Bible. You don't want to be demonic. This receiving here is a cleaving, an embracing, a welcoming of Him for all that He is. So that's my first statement. Believing, that's what we're about in this series. What is the kind of believing that 
produces love and holiness and sin killing. In my argument, it, it is a receiving of Christ, a welcoming of Christ, an embrace of Christ for all that he is, for all that God is for us in him. Keep going in the Gospel of John. This is the judgment that light has come into the world. So here he comes again. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. It's being described in different way here. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light. They didn't love. They didn't love him when he came. They didn't love him. That's why they didn't come to him. Light has come into the world and people loved. This is a love-hate issue. Not just a recognize and mentally affirm issue because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, not love, hate the light, and does not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their works have been carried out in God. And all I want you to see there and everything we could talk about there is that coming to the light is a love-hate issue. When you come to the light, you come to the light because you have seen the light as worthy of your wholehearted affection and love and embracing and receiving. One more passage on that from John Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Notice the parallel between those two lines. Coming parallels believing, not hungering, parallels never thirsting. Therefore, can we say that believing in John 6.35 is a coming to Jesus, not a physical walking anywhere, because he's not on the earth anymore, but a heart drawing near, a coming with our heart to him, so as not to hunger, so as never to thirst. In other words, finding him to be our soul satisfaction. Don't you think that's a fair paraphrase of this? This coming and this believing are parallel. Hungering and thirsting are parallel. You put together those two and you can define believing as a coming to Jesus as the bread of life or the living water and having your soul hunger satisfied and your soul thirst satisfied. Or here it is in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, what, what must faith embrace, believe, receive? Whoever would draw near to God, and that's what faith does, it draws near to God, must believe that he exists, and he's a rewarder of those who come. So faith comes to God, cleaving to him. And I'm going to argue as we go along, God himself is the ultimate reward. He has other things to give us for sure, but he himself is the ultimate reward. And it is not faith if we come to him, not cleaving to, desiring, embracing him as our reward. One last text. A little parable, one verse parable describing what it means 
to have saving faith, to be converted, to come to Christ, to experience him as our, our new king. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So to experience the kingdom of heaven is like having your eyes opened to the fact that, oh my goodness, there's a treasure. There's a treasure. And that treasure is Christ, the King of heaven, ready to be my Lord, my Savior, my friend, my intimate protector and provider and joy forever. And I can have him. And he is so precious to me that I, in my joy, not some big self-pitying sacrifice, but in my joy, sell everything I have to buy that field. Now, this is simply a picture of having faith is being satisfied in Christ above all things. So, conclusion. True saving faith inevitably produces love and holiness and sin-killing. Why? One, because it is future-oriented and banks on the sure blood-bought promises of God. Two, it is, in essence, a being satisfied in all that God is for us in Jesus. That future-oriented nature of faith, future, I mean the next five minutes and the next five million years, and that being satisfied are together the key to seeing why it is that saving faith, justifying faith, which is the only instrument of union with Christ, who is our righteousness, before whom, on the basis of which we stand before God. That faith, that justifying faith, has such amazing and inevitable life changing, love producing, holiness producing, sin killing power. And next time we're going to see how does it produce love?